Uh, before I begin, uh, I want to introduce myself. My name is Jared, um, and I have the honor of overseeing our children's ministry at Normandale. Um, and so my first uh, thing I'm going to talk about is for kids. And so um, kids, if, if you're in elementary school and you haven't grabbed one of these, um, I have them and they're on a table beside the bathroom. Um, that will just help you pay attention and take notes today. If you want to kind of transition uh, and begin to think about what's being spoken about in worship, they're on clipboards, and you can grab one from by the bathroom. So if mom and dad is okay for you to go and get one, you're more than free to do that. Um, but I thought I would open today by talking about a topic that, um, from my experience over here, you guys enjoy talking about a little bit, and that is freedom, right? And so I hear there's like a day coming up, like July 7th or something like that, where you guys celebrate freedom. I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of that, but uh, freedom is important, okay? Again, you guys get that. Um, but uh, freedom needs some kind of purpose or common understanding. Otherwise, freedom can very easily just become chaos or anarchy, right? Uh, those of you that have small children, um, I would imagine that if you have a, 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 a toddler, you don't just open the front door of the house and be like, come on, children, let us go out. And because otherwise, they'd be like running out into the street, getting in front of cars or petting like angry dogs or, or just touching things they shouldn't touch. And so um, you might put them on like a walker, right? Like they have the freedom to move around, but they don't really understand how to use it yet. And so you're going to kind of help them. And then maybe as they grow, um, you might let them walk on the sidewalk or the pavement, as we call it in England. You might let them walk on the sidewalk, and then when you get to a road, like, you may grab their hand, right? Like, they're kind of, they're a little bit better in understanding their freedom, so they can walk on the sidewalk, but when it comes to a road, you grab their hand, okay? And eventually, you stop doing that, right? I don't know how many of you grandparents, like, still grab, like, your 40-year-old son or daughter's hand when you cross a road, right? If you do, I don't judge you. That's awesome, but it's, it's a growth process, right, of, of going from little people to adults, of understanding, like, how to walk in freedom and be safe in that, okay? And, and our walk um, as Christians is, is a growth process in that sense, too. We have this freedom, and, and it, it, it starts, but we, we grow in our understanding of how to walk in this freedom. And as Mason said, we're going to be looking at the fruits of the Spirit, and that's found in the book of Galatians. And, and the church in Galatia at the time was, was struggling a little bit. They were a young church, and there was kind of some, some false teachers coming in that were um, kind of spreading a bit of a false gospel that was a little bit legalistic. They, they were kind of saying that in order to be saved, like, you must believe in Jesus, but you must also do these other things. And so uh, David Platt actually talks about legalism, and, and he describes it as three things. He says, it's doing things in your own power, by your own rules, trying to earn God's favor. In essence, these Judaizers, these false teachers, were basically saying the gospel of Jesus wasn't enough, and you needed to do that and something else. And so Paul writes to the church kind of explaining all of that. And in Galatians 5, 1 through 15, he explains about the freedom they have, and he talks to them about how to walk in that freedom. And then a little further down, and which is where we're going to be studying on over the course of the summer, he gets to uh, kind of two things. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, he contrasts the work of the flesh with the fruits of the Spirit, which you read about in verse 22 to 23. And so if you don't know the fruits of the Spirit, you're about to. We got my video. We don't have my video. We do. I'm being pointed at. I can sing if I need to. 
cool. I see hand motions, so I'm just going to go ahead and talk. Um, There's a great video. Just imagine in your mind what a great video would look like. That would have been it, all right? And so this, this Fruits of the Spirit song, um, kids, how many of you were at kids camp last year and you remember singing the Fruits of the Spirit song? Good. I like that you identify as a kid. That's good. Okay, so... Um, it's this great song, and it just sings through the fruits of the Spirit, okay? And, and you'll hear a little bit of after, because when I read it, I can't help but sing it. And so um, the point of Paul's writing is this, right? He uses the analogy of fruit to kind of help drive the point home. Fruit doesn't grow on its own, right? It doesn't just appear magically. And fruit isn't just like duct tape to a tree, okay? It's connected in some way. The trees, yes. Maybe. No pressure, guys. <laughs> I got a thumbs up. This is the great video you were all waiting for. The fruit of the spirit is not a coconut. Fruit of the spirit is not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control See, I told you it would be amazing, right? So that, that video, how many of you now recognize that from Kids Camp? You remember? Okay, yeah, right? The fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut, okay? That's, if you take anything away, that's what you need to remember. But that song is, is super catchy, but the, the analogy of fruit is, is helpful for adults, but it's helpful for kids, too, to think about. This is what uh, Tony Merida says about this passage. He says, Remember that our goal in looking at this list is not to observe the virtues and then try to make ourselves better in our own strength. The tendency is to look at each one and say, I'm doing all right here, but not here. Or, okay, I need to work on patience now, which that would be me. Rather, the point is that you must walk by the Spirit, and then the virtues grow out of that relationship with God. The tree gets what it needs, it gets the, the light, it gets the nutrients from the ground, it gets the water, and then it produces fruit. That's what our walk is designed to be like. It's the same process. As we read God's Word, we pray, then the fruit begins to grow and show in our lives. Um, and so as, as, as Mason said today, I'm going to talk about love. And I'll tell you straight away, um, as I got the topic of love, I was immediately thinking of how many 80s song references I could use. And then I thought, that's a little immature. I can't throw 80s songs in there. Sure enough, the commentary I read, the title of that chapter was The Power of Love. And so that threw me off straight away. So I was, so everyone's immature in this. But look at the list, okay, of the fruit of the Spirit. It's in a fee, uh, sorry, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And, and now you'll see where this song has impacted my life. Because you read it and it says, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? That's how I read it now. I can't help it. It's in me. But... You look at the list, and love comes first, and, and for me, reading that, what follows are largely kind of aspects of loving well, right? Like, if, if, if I was to be described as a, as a loving person, it's likely that I'm also peaceful or patient or kind or faithful or gentle, and so uh, love kind of comes first, and that's what we're going to look at today. So where we'll be today, kids, if you've got your church notes page, this is what you'll need to write down. We're going to be in First John chapter 4. Uh, 7 through 21. So 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. And for those of you kids who got the paper with the tally chart on, you're going to be busy today. And um, because 
Uh, the word love appears over 30 times in what we're going to read today in the little part afterwards. Um, and, and love is actually a big theme of the book of 1 John. Um, in, in 1 John 3, uh, verse 1a, it says, See what great love the Father has for us, that we should be called God's children. That was a VBS song two years ago. Um, and a little bit later down, in verse 23 and 24, um, we read this. It says, And now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. And we're going to hit this a couple times today because what that's referring to is in Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, like, what's the greatest command? And he responds saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus kind of gives two commands, but in essence connects them together like we saw in that verse. And verse 24 says, the one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he was given us. And that's when we get a bit of an introduction to the spirit producing obedience in us, which is what we're going to read about today. So if you look down at 1 John 4, uh, verse 7 and 8, this is where we see that God, God defines love, like it comes from Him. And um, Now, before I get into it, I want to say this, this passage isn't saying that, that unbelievers are incapable of love. That's not true. And um, all people are made in God's image, and so all people can reflect aspects of God. And, but love in the fullest sense centers on God. That's what we just read in Matthew 22. That's what Jesus points out. And... Um, but let's read this, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. Now, true love has God as its source, okay? And, and again, 80s song reference, I, I was reading and studying for this, and I love Phil Collins. Um, I, I love his music. It's awesome. And so he has a song called A Groovy Kind of Love, okay? And I, and I was reading my commentary for this, and, and uh, Danny Aiken talked about this passage as saying, not that we need a groovy kind of love, but we need a God kind of love. That's what this is getting at, okay? And a God kind of love is where God is loving other people through us. That's what a God kind of love is, God loving other people through us. This is what John Piper says about this verse. He says, love is from God the way heat is from fire, or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what He is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light, and fire gives heat because it is heat. And the only way that we can have this God kind of love is, is shown in this verse. It says, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God. So the only way we can have this God kind of love is if we're born of God. We're born again. We've decided to become a Christian. And it finishes with, and knows God. That's a term of, of a relationship, right? Doesn't know about God, doesn't know of God, but knows God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God. That's a bit of a warning, right? If, and, and, and if you read what, what Casey read, you'll see that there's actually kind of two parts to that story. He, he read the first part, but there's a second part and where God is basically splitting the people, and, and this warning is kind of looking forward to that. If you aren't demonstrating a God kind of love, are you even a Christian? That's what it's getting at. Why? Because God is love. That's what it says. 
And this is kind of how the, the Christian journey should go, is that we start at a point of, of recognizing that God is love, and we choose to make Jesus our Savior. And then over time, we kind of move along, and, and part of that process is we're being made to be more like Jesus. We're being sanctified, and so we get aspects of His character. And then as we walk in faithfulness, we, our lives should point to the fact that we're a part of this journey. The way that God is loving other people through us should show that this transformation has actually happened. That's what this is getting at. And so, um, verses 9 and 10, this is, we've heard that, that God has defined love, but this is where he demonstrated it. And kids, these, these two verses are super important. So look at them carefully. It says, God's love was revealed, was visibly shown in this way. This is how God showed us his love. God sent his one and only son into the world. Well, why would he do that? So that we might live through him. Now, I didn't start going to church till I was kind of 12 or 13. Um, and so things like this were, were kind of a little bit confusing to me. Because I'm like, well, I feel alive. Like, you know, I'm breathing. Um, and this verse kind of implies that I was dead. And, and so kids know that when we're reading this, it's not talking about like physically being alive. It's talking about spiritually. God sent Jesus because spiritually without him, people are dead. That's actually what the Ephesians 2.1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so people that have not trusted in Jesus are spiritually dead. And God sent Jesus so that they could spiritually be alive. How? How is that going to happen? Look at verse 10. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, which is important for that church in Galatia that were struggling with the false teachers and legalisms. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. So how do we know that? Read on. He sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, God is just. Kids, God is fair. He is reasonable. He's someone we can trust. And so we put a problem in front of him. The way that we live our lives, at times we disobey God. We do what, what He doesn't want us to do, and that's what we call sin. And that sin is a problem. God has to do something about it. Sin needs to be punished. And so He sent Jesus to do something for us. Now, in the Old Testament, the, the, the nation of Israel had this special day called the Day of Atonement, where the whole nation would gather together and sacrifices would be made to pay for the sin of the people. And they'd have to do that every single year. But the good news that we're reading in these verses is that through Jesus, he came and there was one day of atonement. Hebrews 10.10 says, By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. That is good news. Love is perfected in us when we love others. Look at verse 11 and verse 12. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another, right? Not we also should love one another. We also maybe could think about possibly loving one another, right? We must do it. There's an urgency about it. And he reiterates that in, in verse 19 when he says, we love because he first loved us. It's kind of the main point of what he's writing. Now, um, when I was preparing for this, I, I read some, uh, some research on what some young Americans who don't come to church 
um, how they would describe Christians. Um, and honestly, this, this made me kind of sad. Let's, listen to this. Uh, so 87% of the people that were asked uh, said they felt like Christians were judgmental. Uh, 85% said they felt like Christians were hypocritical. And 70% said they felt like Christians were insensitive to others. Um, and that was in 2012, and so I imagine it might even be a bleaker picture these days. And, and I understand that the gospel is countercultural. The, the words of the Bible challenge our very flesh because it calls us not to put ourselves first. And, and it won't always be well received. I mean, Jesus came and he wasn't loved by everybody. But for me, like reading that and thinking, wow, like 70% of the people they asked felt like Christians were insensitive to others. Like that's way higher than it should be. Like that says we have work to do. And, and one thing that, that I was kind of pondering on and, and listen, listen to this because I want to try and explain it and make sure this comes across correctly. Um, I think that the church has, has maybe struggled with the perception that, that we share too much truth, um, but not enough love. And, and I was thinking, like, can I say that? Like, can you share too much truth? Um, but then if you look at Jesus' life, he did speak truth, right? He called a group of people a brood of vipers, right? Like, he wasn't kind of, like, hiding from his truth. But he also lived a life of love, and that wasn't at the expense of his truth. And so when John is speaking with urgency to his audience, I think that's an urgent message for us too. Like we've experienced this amazing love of Jesus. And so it's our job to allow God to love other people through us. Verse 12, and no one has ever seen God. And that, that kind of seems like a, a strange way to start. Um, but it's true that no one has ever seen God up close and personal. And um, yet he can be seen uh, through you guys, as you go out and love other people. Um, we can love other people well because God has given us his spirit. That's what it says. If we love one another, God remains in us. So the ability is not ours. It's not because I'm good at loving people. It's because God is using me to express his love to other people. And I love the last part. His love is made complete in us. When we are loving other people with this God kind of love, when he is loving other people through us, we are loving the way that love was always meant to be, which is a reflection of him and his love for us. And, and honestly, the, the reason I picked this passage was about a month ago when I was kind of reading for my own devotion time, uh, verse 19 came to my mind. I talk about it a lot with the kids. I've already read it. It says, we love because he first loved us. That's why. That's why we're called to love other people, because he's already done it. He loved us. His love is the source that flows out of us. And listen to verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. That, that seems a little bit harsh when you first read it, like, if you say you love God but don't love people, you're a liar. That, that seems harsh, but uh, Danny Aiken described it as this, and I think it's really good. He said, if I am not loving others as I ought, then I do not know God's love as I should. So he said, if I'm not loving others as I ought, then I do not know God's love as I should. And, and I read that, and, and 
this this has been a convicting process for me, just reading through and processing and thinking about um, people that I'm not loving in the way that God loves them. Verse 21, and we have this command from him. Let's go back to Matthew 22 with Jesus' two commands. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So why is this such a big deal? Well, Edmund Hebert said this. He said, since God's love is no longer visible in the presence of the incarnate Christ here on earth, God is manifesting his love as it is now displayed in his people. In essence, the Great Commission, right? Like we have been sent to go and live a life of love that points people to Jesus. But this love isn't our love. This love isn't up to me as to how I choose to do it or who I choose to love. When we read John 3.16, there isn't an asterisk by it kind of to determine what everyone means. Jesus died for everyone. And so we can't be selective over who we love. We can't put an asterisk there when he did not, right? We can't choose who we want to love when he didn't limit it when he was dying on the cross. And this is uh, what Ray Ortland uh, tweeted out two weeks ago. I emailed it to myself because I loved it. And it was also convicting, but, but it was good. And so this is what he said. He said, love one another as I have loved you. That's out of John 13, 34. He said, this is the command we hate the most. He commands us to stop limiting the range of our love to those who get us or those who are on our side, those who treat us well and appreciate us. He commands us literally to die for one another, willingly and cheerfully, especially for those who don't like us or don't thank us or don't respect us. As I have loved you, dramatically redefines our future with one another, or we don't belong to him at all. And I read that, and I was like, man, that's good. It also doesn't feel good when I think about it, because I have work to do. And my work isn't just to try harder and to be more loving. My work is to read the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to grow that fruit of love in my life to help me be used to love other people with a God kind of love. And for Christians, that's good news. Kids uh, talk a lot about making Jesus your boss, right? And your boss, for your, your parents or your family when they go to work, your boss tells them what to do, right? They show them the way to go, whatever the boss does, you, they should follow, otherwise they might get fired, right? So the boss is someone we follow. And so Jesus is our boss, and so we look to him, we look to his word, and we follow it. And that's how that fruit of love will come in our life. But for non-Christians, there is good news too. And it was contained within verses 9 and 10. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And we do that by admitting that we've made mistakes, right, kids? We have the ABC that we talk about. Admitting that you're a sinner. Yes, Jensen. Admitting that you're a sinner, right? Repenting and turning away from your sin. Believing that Jesus did what we just read about in verse 9 and verse 10. And confessing your faith. Telling other people about what Jesus has done in your life. And then we go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And uh, as the band comes up, I want to pose uh, a couple of questions. How can I love other people better? What does love of the Spirit look like? What does this God kind of love look like? Like I said, it looks like reading your Bible and asking the Holy Spirit to, to guide you and change you. Look at uh, the book of 1 John is a great place to start. 
Or look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Look at what um, Mr. Casey read, or Casey, depending on how old you are, and what he read um, from Matthew 25, 31 through 40, the, the least of these, right? Isn't that interesting that the, this, this parable was about the end times and about Jesus separating the believers from the unbelievers, and the way that he did it was by looking at how they loved other people? Because that's the same as looking at how they love God. That's how we do that God's kind of love. We read his word and ask the spirit to demonstrate that God kind of love in our lives. It's not just trying harder. It's by seeking him. And I want to end with this. Um, I love this church. I love Normandale. Um, and I've been involved, uh, I guess, for like over a decade now, um, which is cool. Um, and what's been great is just the many ways that I have seen the Holy Spirit working in this church and working through this church in doing the things we've kind of touched on a little bit today. I mean, yesterday we had some people up here running a food bank. We've got uh, people within this church that have done ministry in prisons, that have done ministry with vulnerable families at the pregnancy centers, that do ministry with refugees, or that do ministry with widows, right? Like, that's awesome. But how much more can lie ahead if every one of us is doing this and seeking God's Word and asking the Holy Spirit to move in us and help us to love people, help us to love like the least of these. And if that's the way we choose to evidence our love for God, right? Not like a bumper sticker on our car or a Facebook post, like not a cool Instagram post with a, you know, cool latte or something. Like the way that we choose to evidence our love for God is, is by seeking Him. How amazing would that be to see what happens? I'm excited to get to watch us and see what lies ahead for this church. I'm going to pray. Hey, God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for uh, the chance that we have to gather together. I thank you for all the kids that are here um, and just getting to hear kids again and getting to see people again and how exciting that is. And I thank you that you uh, remind us with that excitement of just the purpose that we need to be gathered together. Um, and I thank you that you are among us as we are. But I pray um, as we go out that we would and over this summer, just think about these messages, these sermons we're hearing. And um, not that this would be a to-do list of to try harder in certain areas, but that it would point us to our need to seek you. And um, God, that through um, this, this church, as we, as we seek you in our lives, that you would do amazing things by growing these fruits of the Spirit in us. And that through that, the people would feel and see a God kind of love. And through that, the people would come to believe in your son Jesus. I thank you so much for today, and I just pray that we would sing your praises as we're here, but that we would also live it out as we leave. Amen. <laughs>